Well, I've looked forward all week to talking to Dennis Allen. He presides over the Discipleship Dilemma blog. And the topic today that we wanted to discuss, and I'm so excited to talk about, is the difference between managing some building and mega church or organization and true shepherding and true discipleship. That's the biblical model. Dennis, good morning and welcome to WTN. It's an honor to meet you. Good morning, Michael. Great to be with you. All right. So how much of our problems really stem from uh, the church being a building and not God's people? Yeah, there's a lot of cultural misinterpretation about Christianity in the world, isn't there? Yeah. Um, when we look at the problem of discipleship, what we usually think about is the tasks, the actions, and the activities to be a believer, but that's not biblical. And that's what the disciple dilemma is about. It's a conversation with leaders saying discipleship has been hacked, and it was hacked in an operating system 18 centuries ago. You know, you say that. I'm a product, I guess ultimately I'm a product of the Jesus movement, in that I'm a freshman in high school, I am raised Roman Catholic, and I start going to a Bible study at lunchtime taught by my football coach. And then I make a personal decision to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and then I was discipled. And I was discipled by that coach in a small group, by the way, a small group that went on to lead that entire school to Christ, and they all go to the one who got saved with me's church. Um, but we got, that was 1979, 1980, and we got good old-fashioned discipleship and, and account teaching and accountability in, a, in small groups. So that existed in 1982, not gone in, 19, in, in 1800. What's happened since then? Has the has the mega church model betrayed us in some way? Now, I and by the way, I'm friends with a pastor of a very large church, and his believers are discipled, and they do amazing things, and it's an amazing place. So I'm not saying that you can't have it, but I, I think by and large, to your blog's point, they become managers more than shepherds, right? Yeah, this is the trap, I think, that we're facing in contemporary Christianity. We're trying to run a lot of Christian organizations, churches and others, like Harvard Business School business cases. And the reality is we have no criticism against any body of believers. We, we are grateful for bodies of believers all over the world serving Christ. However, the problem of discipleship becomes immensely complex when you try to run discipleship through large groups. Versus Jesus model, which is ones, twos, and threes. So, and Jesus' model was no more than 12, right? Um, so he, here we go where they would tell you, or I would observe, they think it's happening. Well, I think there's believer problems in that the church members think going to church is discipleship. That's not. That's a celebration. That's a time to group to gather as a large group and pray together, worship together, uh, maybe have a message of inspiration or application, and then do some, you know, the, the important work of the altar. In other words, my discipleship was done in a small group in someone's house or, or a gymnasium during lunchtime service on Sunday, or we were really spiritual Sunday night and Wednesday. That was something completely different. So how much of it is the people's problem and thinking just going to church is discipleship versus those that think in the church that they're achieving it in their smaller groups. Does that, I think it makes sense to you. I hope it makes sense to everybody listening. 
because somewhere yeah, it's not working. About, let's talk about a COVID-19 phrase that's familiar to everybody, and it's called herd immunity. In the Disciple Dilemma book, we talk about herd community, and the idea is, sort of like evolution, if you put enough people in a room and slosh them around together, disciples will come out of the other side of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, full, dis- full disclosure, look, I'm a CEO. Uh, I'm an ex-fighter pilot. My world really isn't in the world of theology, but I have done a lot of turnarounds in corporations, and I can tell you we have the same problem in corporate America that we do in Christianity. Put a bunch of people in a room, put a wrench in their hands if they're on the commercial side, or put a sales kit in their hand if they're going outdoors in the field world, or in the church, as you said before, put people into a large room, let them praise and worship, maybe come to a small group of 10, 20, 30 people, check off the disciple block. That's not biblical. So, and by the way, I, I think that's what I love about you. You come at it from, you know, you just look at the model and see how it doesn't work. It doesn't work in business and it's not working in the church. All right, so how would you fix it? If, if And I have a lot of pastors that listen. Um, because they're in a trap, they get, yeah, and and they get caught in a trap too, you know, it ends up, it ends up, they become so big, it becomes like a CEO or a management position. Well, you got to resist that urge, right? And then there's the old, the old fashioned, uh, at some point you just, you, I, I used to always say before I would speak, uh, Dennis, and I, and I'm probably, you're probably the same kind of person. I would just say, God, not my words, not my eloquence. I don't care if I belch, let me belch with anointing. What I need is you to speak through me. And I think they lose that because we take in knowing God and then we have to like a sponge, you know, you could take in faith and you squeeze out works. And then as a sponge, and I think that all gets lost. You become a manager. That isn't what most men of God have been called to be even. It saps them to boot, doesn't it? Oh gosh, it's such a crushing load to be a pastor. There are so many challenges thrown at you. And you don't even have the right, like a CEO, to walk in and say, you're fired because you're just not part of the team. Get out of here, right? You've got, you've got to keep living with these people. And if you think about it today, statistically, looking at the research, you've got two guys walking out the door before retirement age, sub-retirement age as pastors, for every one that's checking into seminary, and not every one checking into seminary is coming aboard. It is a burnout life. And let me give you... Let me give you three data points that we picked up in research as we were doing this book, The Disciple Dilemma, that tell you the load your pastor friends are facing. And by the way, you're in a wonderful place in Nashville because there's some really strong believing churches there, right? Not so everywhere. But, but right. listen, listen to these three data points. Nine out of ten Protestant believers today say they are unable unequipped, or it's not my job to talk about my faith. That's nine out of ten people sitting in the pews. Eight out of ten sitting in those pews have nothing spiritually aside from attending a sermon 1.7 times a month. No small group, no Bible study, nobody walking alongside them. Eight out of ten. The majority of people under 45, I think six out of ten, who grew up in church are today nuns, I no longer affiliate with a church for nuns. I've walked. And in both cases, the historically unique thing about today is those nuns and duns aren't coming back like our generation did. That's the kind of world that our pastors are facing today. And we can't take that as a guilt trip. The pastors have got to take that as here's my calling in the Lord without letting it become a shame, blame, and discouragement track. So the system we're in isn't working for pastors. It isn't working for discipleship and shepherding. Uh, it's big buildings. It's, it's 
you know, dwindling attendance, but still large attendance for some churches. But it's not true discipleship. And we're not equipped to be light and we're not equipped to be salt. And therefore, we're losing a cultural war. All right. So the church is not a building. It's the body of Christ. And we are his hands. We are his feet. We are his representation. Uh, this generation of believers are responsible for this generation of souls. And I'll add to that, this generation of pastors. How do we fix this? I mean, we know we have a discipleship dilemma. How do we fix it? Our book, The Disciple Dilemma, oddly, Michael, is not a book about how to be a disciple. It's about how leaders have to take up the biblical call of leadership and bring discipleship back to the version 1.0 disciple Jesus gave us and get away from our attempts to upgrade and evolve it into some of the problems we face today. Your story is a rarity, Michael. Having a mentor who walked alongside you and developed you and drove your disciplines, you're a rarity. Most people in the church are spiritual orphans. They got converted. Somebody might have handed them a Bible. They might have gone through a membership class, and they're, for the most part, made out of sin on their own. So where to from here? Leaders, when we talk about this, it's the same problem in the commercial space. How do you bring your people from simply being an employee or just a church member into being a passionate, mission-focused, driven person, serving with all their heart, mind, and soul? That's the journey we spent the last half of the Disciple of the Lemon book talking about to take people out. It's a, ch- it's a challenging run, but it's got to begin with leaders. And, and just, just to put this other point on the table, if you're old enough to qualify for a learner's permit and you've been a believer for more than six months, you are in the target zone as a leader. You know, it's uh, Dennis Allen is joining us. Uh, he presides over a blog. He's written many, many books. We're talking about the discipleship. Uh, dilemma. Um, you know, you, you say that, that that was, by the way, there was more that discipled me. Um, first, I had uh, Frank Gloria, who led me to Christ. Then I had Buddy Duncan, who was very influential as I, as, as, when I was involved at the church. He was the youth pastor. But I mean, I was discipled by music, too. Amy Grant, Steve Camp, uh, Keith Green. I was discipled by authors, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, Watchman Nee, Leonard Ravenhill, um, Charles Finley. I mean, I could go Finney. I could go on and on and on. Um, and I will say, you're right to say it's rare, but it didn't stop there. All my life, and I don't know if God was was spoiling me and bringing them into my life, but I had mentors for every reason and season of my life, uh, whether it was David Willits or if it was Alan Gates or David Zanotti today. In other words, but at the end of the day, to your point, Dennis, none of this came from the church structure. This is all outside the church. And most people outside the church structure don't have anything. So, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, we got to find a way to, to have that exist. And then at some point, every believer, you know, if you can't make God known unless you know him. And you're not going to serve him faithfully unless you know him. And you're not even going to serve him the way he wants you to serve him until you get out of the way and die daily and allow him to live through you. So, I mean, there's so many complex things that overlay this. I mean, ultimately, it's on everybody, right? It's on every believer to want to be discipled and to seek discipleship. But for goodness sakes, as far as the church is failing and dwindling and we're losing a cultural war, it's got to begin with leadership of the church to start creating it, right? Absolutely has to begin with the leadership. And if the leadership doesn't understand the mission, which is to make disciples, 
then the culture, which is the glue that keeps that mission together, doesn't exist. And if that culture doesn't exist, the people in the pews don't get it. They think the sermon's all I need, or small group's all I need. I loved your illustration about the portfolio of mentors you did. Um, it's so important to have mentors and wingmen. Uh, in the book, The Disciple Dilemma, we talked about, uh, I used some of the fighter pilot illustrations of flying in formation. Wingmen there to keep the bad guys off your six and make sure that you can help keep bad guys off their six. And flight leads who can help keep you out of trouble, coach, and help develop you as you go forward. Leadership has to build the church back to that mission. Our mission is not to have flowery virtue signals. Our mission is to make disciples who then worship, praise, go on mission trips, get together in prayer, gather in groups. That's what disciples do. And when we have those robust disciples, not the fragile, brittle guys that we described earlier, Leadership then has the horsepower and the weaponry to go into the world and to take down those walls and start bringing unity of Christ, the power of Christ to a broken world. You know, from a talk show standpoint, um, Dennis, my specialty is media bias, death of journalism, cultural war, economic war. Um, I'm up on you know foreign policy. I'm up on everything. Everybody walks up to me and says the same thing. Thank you for taking a stand for faith. And what you do to represent God on the on the radio. Because I'm not on a Christian station. I'm on a secular station. And I'm thinking to myself, and it harkens back to what you said at the beginning of this interview. Wait a minute. We're all believers. We're all called to be in this world and not of this world. We're all called to be salt. We're all called to be light. We're all called to be a peculiar people. We're all called to go forth and make disciples of all men. I mean, I love when people say, I've, I've, been, I've been called to the... To be a missionary. We've all been called to be a missionary. Who told you to stay home? But, I mean, we don't do that anymore. We send an evangelist on television uh, to line his pockets and say something. We think that's fulfilling end times prophecy? Or how about at your cubicle at work? I mean, we've got dying, lonely, hurting people all around us. Who told you you're supposed to be silent? Um, and I, I don't know if that's a discipleship issue. I think there's a, I don't know. We're back to square one. Um, but I think you're right. It starts at the top and we got to stop trying to have the biggest building and start having the most discipled and equipped, uh, that are changing their street. I mean, I think the devil should be afraid when you get on a plane, Dennis, who you sit next to. And if he's not, then somebody didn't disciple you or you didn't want to be discipled or you've been disconnected and you're not the dangerous thing with Christ inside you you were supposed to be. Um, and, you know, I looked at your blog, I've seen the book, and, I mean, it's just like, all right, somebody else but me is finally saying it, but how do we get this? I mean, what, what are pastors in all your research, what are they saying to you uh, as you talk about these things? Well, yeah, I mean, we're trying to, but you don't understand. And then what do they say? The the 500 different groups that we actually researched on this came back with a common theme, and this is about 90%. I don't know how to do discipleship. I know it's important, so I'm going to preach louder, preach harder, work harder. And so many of these pastors said nobody wants to really run the race of disciple-making. They just want me to lead the charge to have the answers. Part of our cultural problem, Michael, this goes back 1,800 years also, it's optional lordship. Going way back to the period of the Roman persecution, Jesus can save me, but I don't have to have that upgrade where he's the Lord, unconditional surrender to him. And therefore, people don't realize that the word Christian 
is the word disciple, and there's no opting out. It's a mandatory for all your life calling. We as a church don't understand that. That is that is one of the most powerful things anybody's ever said with me, and uh, and it comes from a fighter pilot, uh, a CEO, and an author. <laughs> Uh, not a, not, not anybody that's heading the Christendom, but it's true. Um, Lordship is not, I mean, you know, I go back to Campus Crusade for Christ, which I guess is a, is a form of discipleship too. It got a little, uh, yeah. you know, as young people will do in college, it got very uh, personal and legalistic and competitive. But deep down, you got to give Bill Bright his credit. You know, he just simply had the throne and either you're on it or God's on it. And, you know, and then the four spiritual laws, at least it was a, a way and a path that people saw. Yeah, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, in America today, it is no longer life. It is no longer the way, and there is no such thing as truth. And so the body of Christ is played right along with it. I, I wish I could go another half hour. I can. I don't know if you can, but how do we end this? I would like every pastor to read this book. I would like every believer to read this book because this is what you have to have. I keep coming back to something that you keep moving away from. I just don't think, you know, if I'm going to truly disciple someone, it's everything, man. It's calls at two o'clock in the morning. It's getting in the car, even though I had my heart set on watching this game with my kids today. I mean, people need to be led and they need to be walked with and lived through with. Um, and I just don't think that can be done in large numbers. I'm with you. I think that we have lost that piece. Now, there's so much that's wonderful in preaching and gathering, no matter what size your church is, but the core piece of discipleship that has been lost is precisely what you gained as a young man and have lived with, a portfolio of believers who continuously walk with you. Maybe the names change over your lifetime, but you always have someone with you, those 2 a.m. Waffle House friends. You can call and say, hey, bring a shovel, don't ask questions, and they'll be there for you. That's discipleship alongside each other, wingmen going into the fight. And we don't think that way. Well, let me, Christianity. let me end this way, Dennis. Um, there are a lot of people like me who have been discipled. They're busy discipling others. Uh, they're living a vibrant, uh, I'm, I am, I am so much more in love with my wife today experientially than I was when I promised to love her 20 something years ago. I am way more in love with Jesus today than I was the day I met him. I know him more. I love him more. I want to serve him uh, continuously without any lack of zeal. Um, but I find myself having less and less use for the church. At some point, Dennis, if the church doesn't rise up and do this, they're going to fail nine out of ten believers, and they're going to fall back into the world. They're never going to live the abundant life God had for them, and they're not going to be the influence of life and salt that God called them to be. And then the one out of ten who really are vibrant believers and true disciples are going to have no use for your church anymore. Then what's left? Isn't that interesting that we all are asking the same questions, and we keep converting the statement to guilt rather than action. We need to continue to gather together as believers. We need to support our pastors and staff in the tough world that they live. And as disciples, we need to pick up this biblical wholesome discipleship. And church's relevance will continue to collapse until we understand discipleship as Christ taught it versus discipleship as the Constantinian, Roman Catholic, even pre-Reformation era disciples tried to convert it into mass production, fragile, brittle.
discipleship. Well, when I was pitched talking to you, as they say in the business, um, they said, you got to meet this guy. You guys are two peas in a pod. Um, I do want to say thank you for your service to our country. I'm sure you've served a lot of companies. Great. You're a CEO. You're a fighter pilot. And uh, now I think you have the most relevant message uh, because the solutions for virtually everything I talk about every day, which are consequences and symptoms of life without Jesus's example, without his way, without his truth, without his life, and without a vibrant church protecting our culture uh, and preserving our culture. Uh, your message really is the solution for secular talk radios, arguments, although I think they enjoy the arguments more than the solutions. And it's certainly the solution for the church. So from your book and your lips to God's ears, to pastor's ears, to uh, Christian's ears everywhere, I encourage everybody to get the copy of the book and read it. And, and first read it, then share it with your pastor to read. Where can they get it? Disciple Dilemma is out at Barnes & Noble and, and Books A Million and all the usual places you want to look for. And by the way, there's a free ebook available on the website, which is DiscipleDilemma.com. You can go get a free ebook right now if you want to. A free ebook. Well, you know, I'm doing, I'm getting, I'm getting ready to go for a weekend. I'm marrying somebody and I'm not getting married. I'm performing the ceremony for somebody in Georgia. And, uh, I, I may, I may finish reading it in my car. So go to the discipledilemma.com and you get a free copy or anywhere Barnes and Noble's Amazon. And the name of the book again, Dennis? The Disciple Dilemma. And the website, the discipledilemma.com. Believers, get it. Read it this weekend and hand it to your pastor this Sunday or next Sunday. God bless you, Dennis, and all you're doing. Um, boy, if you're ever in Nashville, I want to meet you. Run the race well. I'll see you there. All right. Thank you for your service to our country, too. It's Hi, for my listeners, they know me, and you know that one of my great heroes is Rand Paul, um, because I am first and foremost a believer. Then I'm a husband, because I can't love